0: In his book, The Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster has a chapter devoted to the importance of of service. In the chapter, he explains the difference between what he calls self-righteous service and true service. And I'm going to kind of paraphrase and and quote some of what he has to say. Self-righteous service comes through human effort. Self-righteous service expends... Enormous amounts of energy calculating and scheming how to render service. True service comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Energy is expended to be sure, but it is not the frantic energy of the flesh. Self righteous service is impressed with the big deal. Self righteous service enjoys service, especially when it involves titanic feats of service. True service finds it almost impossible to distinguish between small from large acts of service. True service welcomes all opportunities to serve, whether they're big or whether they're small. Self-righteous service requires external rewards. It seeks to know people see and appreciate the effort. It seeks and it enjoys human applause. True service rests contented in hiddenness. Now, true service is not afraid to serve in a way everyone sees but being seen is not the motivation. True service contents itself with the knowledge Jesus has seen the effort, so nothing else matters. Self-righteous service is highly concerned about results. It eagerly waits to see if the person served will return the service. Self-righteous service often becomes bitter when service is not repaid or noticeably appreciated. True service is free from the need to calculate results. True service only cares about serving and delights in the service. Self-righteous service picks and choose who to serve. Sometimes only the high and powerful are served because it will ensure certain advantages. Sometimes the low and defenseless are served because it will ensure a humble image. True service is indiscriminate in its ministry. It has heard the command of Jesus to be a servant of all. Self-righteous service is affected by moods and whims. It can only serve when there is a feeling to serve. Ill health, inadequate sleep, or other moods and whims control the desire to serve. True service ministers simply and faithfully because there is a need. It knows the feeling to serve can often be a hindrance to true service. True service disciplines the feelings rather than allowing the feelings to control the service. Self-righteous service is temporary. It functions only while there are specific acts of service to be performed. Having served, it rests easy. True service is a lifestyle. It acts from ingrained patterns of living. It springs spontaneously to meet human needs it sees. Self-righteous service is insensitive. It insists on meeting the need even when to do so is destructive. True service can withhold the service as freely as perform it. It can listen with tenderness before acting. It can serve by waiting in silence. Self-righteous service is the natural way we serve because of our sinful nature. If we are to be servants of Jesus, this kind of service must die. If we are to faithfully follow Jesus and serve in the way He did, we must die to self-righteous service and we must begin to live to true service. Today we're going to look at a familiar story to learn much about being servants of Jesus. Open your Bible to Mark 6, verse 30 is where we're going to start. It's page 766 in your pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. Mark 6 and 30. The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to Him all that they had done and taught. And He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place, and rest a little while. For there were many... People coming and going, they did not even have time to eat. And they went away to a boat to a secluded place by themselves. Then the people saw them going and many recognized them and ran together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. And when it was already late, his disciples came up to him and said, This place is secluded and it's already late. Send them away so they may go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and spend two hundred denarii on bread to give it to them to eat? But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. So they went out and they said five and two fish. And he ordered them all to recline by groups on the green grass. They reclined in groups of hundreds and fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and he looked up toward heaven. He blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he gave them to the disciples again and again to set before them. And he divided the two fish among them, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up twelve full baskets of broken pieces of bread and of fish, And there were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. title of the message this morning is Servants of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We praise you for your grace and goodness. Thank you for the opportunity we have to gather and study your word today. Open our hearts to receive it. Challenge us to be the kind of servants you would want us to be. Uh, let Let us be known. Servants of Jesus everywhere we go and in all we do. Fill me this morning with your Holy Spirit. Let me speak your words and your ways for your glory. Uh, just let your Holy Spirit come, open our hearts and minds to what you have for us. Change what needs changing, strengthen what needs strengthening, convict what needs convicting, encourage those who need encouragement. Have your way just in all things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The story of Jesus feeding the the 5,000 with the five loaves and two fish is one of the more amazing stories in God's Word. Part of what's amazing in the story to me is how ordinary the stuff Jesus used was. Right first there's the food Jesus used. 5 loaves and 2 fish isn't much. In fact, according to my studies, we shouldn't see this as if you grew up in Sunday school, you often saw the the felt flannel graph that had big fish, big pieces of bread. That's really not the image here. Right rather what we should see in the 5 loaves would be basically small hot roll size rolls of bread and the fish would be basically the size of sardines right so sardine sized fish so that's not a lot among 12 grown men much less among 5000 people not only was that not much it was very ordinary this was not the lunch of a wealthy person this was the lunch of really a poor ordinary everyday person who lived in the area Where they live. In our day, it might be the equivalent of a bologna sandwich and Lay's potato chips. I mean, it's just an ordinary, everyday, nothing fancy kind of a lunch. Then there's the disciples who also aren't fancy. We talked about a couple of weeks ago about how ordinary the disciples were. They often missed the point of what Jesus was trying to say. They often missed the point of what Jesus was doing. They weren't theologians. They weren't anything special. They were ordinary fishermen, sinful tax collectors, religious zealots, and other regular guys. And so Jesus works through this ordinary lunch and through these ordinary guys to work and to accomplish a, a really significant miracle. And what we should see in this, at least in part, is Jesus worked in them through them and for them to accomplish this miracle because they were his servants and they were devoted to doing what Jesus wanted them to do right they they served where Jesus wanted they went where he wanted them to go and they did what he wanted and they did what he wanted them to do they served in the way Jesus wanted them to serve and they served how Jesus wanted them to serve everything they did they did just because he said to do it and they did it exactly the way he said it. Right there, what they did is our example. So our key truth is servants of Jesus serve when Jesus wants, the way Jesus wants, and how Jesus wants. Now Kelly says I need to give more time for people to write this down. This passage, it shows us how to serve when Jesus wants, the way Jesus wants, and how Jesus wants. Number one, servants of Jesus follow where Jesus leads. So verse 30, keep in mind the timeline. And earlier in the chapter, Jesus has sent the twelve disciples out in verses 7 through 13. While the disciples were out alone, going on two by two in their ministry, John the Baptist is beheaded. What we looked at last week comes to pass. John the Baptist is beheaded. His body is laid in a tomb. And after that, the disciples gather together with Jesus. Right? They come to report all that they've done. Their, their initial ministry of being sent out in verse 7 is just now coming to a close. And they come to Jesus and they begin to report to Him all they had done. Right, And they had done quite a bit. So Jesus then, in verse 31, He he calls them to come away by themselves to a secluded place where they could rest a little while. They They needed to do that because there were so many people coming to them, they didn't even have time to eat. And so they did what Jesus wanted. They went away in a boat to a secluded place by themselves with Jesus. Now, everything about this sounds so ordinary, doesn't it? Right, They have gone and done things. They come back. And Jesus is like, let's go and rest a little bit. Tell me about what's gone on. We're going to take some rest and some time to recover. And then we'll go on again. Everything about this is, is very ordinary. Jesus did not say to them, come and go with me. and I'm going to blow your mind by something you can't even imagine I'm going to do. It's not what he did. Instead, he told them, follow him. He's going to come to an ordinary time of rest. And during this time of rest... Jesus did something amazing. Right? The the, the takeaway is we follow Jesus. Right? And, And not follow Jesus like as an act. I don't mean act like we're pretending. But not follow Jesus as, well, I'm going to follow Jesus to church on Sunday. Or I'm going to follow Jesus to read my Bible. But rather, it pictures following Jesus as a way of life. Right? Not just. Just in a particular moment, but in in all of life, I am going to follow Jesus. This is what servants of Jesus do. Every area of life, they they realize they are following Jesus. They realize Jesus leads and and we follow in everything. And to follow Jesus where He leads, we, we have to invite Him into every aspect of our lives. So often... What we do, if we're not careful, is we divide our lives into the secular and the sacred. I follow Jesus in church, and and that's His time. But then, come Monday morning, I've just got to hit the ground running and I've got my thing. And it's not that way. It is Jesus is meant to be the leader in everything. That we should, every day, and really probably multiple times throughout the day, invite Jesus Into every aspect of our lives. Jesus, today I'm I'm going to work. Lead me as I go so that I can do everything you would want me to do. And then as we go, we make ourselves conscious of the fact Jesus is with us. Right? I mean, he will never leave us nor forsake us. That's one of our great hopes as disciples of Jesus is that, lo, I am with you always. So we go to work. And we go to our hobbies, or we go to the restaurants, or we go walking in the neighborhood, or, or whatever we do, we do it with the knowledge, Jesus is with me. But he's not just He's not my companion as though He's beside me. Jesus is Lord. So I'm following Him. I am doing everything I do as a representative of Christ. I'm doing everything I do knowing Jesus is in charge, and if He tells me to do something, I'm going to do it. So if we invite Jesus into every aspect of our lives, we make a point to be conscious of the fact Jesus is always with us and we are determined, I'm going to follow where He leads, do what He says, no matter what that would be, then what we're going to find as we go through our ordinary days, opportunities to serve Jesus by serving others are just going to come up. Now, the ways we serve can be many. You know, sometimes just being nice to people. That's a way to serve I me. Mean, let's just be honest. Our world right now is not really very nice. To just seeing someone out and about. and Maybe they cut you off at Walmart. Maybe rather than smashing your card around or calling them a name. Maybe just, hey, God bless you anyway. I mean, who knows what they're going through, right? Who knows what just a nice, kind word Could do to impact someone. But all kinds of ways. As we go through our day. Our ordinary lives. Jesus is Lord there. And he wants to lead us there. And he will give us opportunities. To serve him. By serving others. As we just are aware. And we invited him into every aspect. Of our lives. But then. Not only do we invite him into every aspect of our lives. We we need to be open. To his leading. To go Wherever He may want us to go and to do whatever He may want us to do. Jesus said in John chapter 10, His sheep hear His voice and they follow Him. If you're a born again disciple of Jesus, and you're His sheep. And that means you can hear His voice and that means he can, he can lead you in the way He wants you to go. So being aware of opportunities that Jesus may Is Jesus leading me to speak to this person? Is Jesus leading me to be kind to this person? Is Jesus leading me to to serve this person in one way or another? As we listen, as we invite, as we I determine I'm going to follow him wherever, we soon find Jesus leads us to opportunities. Opportunities to demonstrate to a watching world we are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Servants of Jesus serve when Jesus wants, the way Jesus wants, and how Jesus wants. And to do this, we must follow wherever he leads. Secondly, servants of Jesus see what Jesus sees. Now, this is an interesting story. Jesus gets in a boat to go to a secluded place and the people see them, right? They see the boat going and so they're... They begin to go where he's headed. Looks like he's going over there. So they're on the land and they're they're kind of walking time on the boat, going where Jesus is. And that's Jesus and the disciples. We we want to be where he's at. And so here he is, he's going to get away. He's taking his disciples, trying to get away, and, and people are coming. His disciples have been busy, they have walked, no telling how far. They have done all of this ministry. They, they have not had time to eat. On top of this, John the Baptist has just died. We know from the other gospel accounts, Jesus knows about this. And let's not forget who John the Baptist was to Jesus. On part of it, John the Baptist was the forerunner who went to prepare the way for Jesus to come into the world. But on a different level, John the Baptist was his cousin. So Jesus' cousin has just been killed because he preached about Jesus. And so the disciples have been busy. Jesus is human as well as God. He feels grief and sadness over his cousins dying, just as we would. And he's trying to get away. He is, I mean, it says he is intentionally trying to get to a secluded place by themselves for a little while. But the people see them and follow them. To such an extent that when He lands, they're already there. Some are already there. Others follow later. No one would blame Jesus at this moment if He said, y'all go away for a little while. I mean, we just need, give us a couple of days. Meet back here day after tomorrow. We'll, we'll talk. We'll do some things. But to, right now, we just need to be alone. Just us kind of rest and relax. But that's not what He does. Look at verse 34. When Jesus went ashore, he he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What Jesus saw compelled him to action. So what did Jesus see that that we as his servants, we must also see? One, and this is going to sound obvious, but it's more intense than you think it is. Jesus sees people. But he sees this large crowd. And again, it sounds obvious. Well, of course he saw people, but, but let me explain what he didn't see. Jesus didn't see their sin. Jesus didn't see their failures. Jesus didn't see their sinful desires. Jesus didn't see what he assumed to be true about them. He saw people. Now, keep in mind. These were flawed people, sinful people, people with sinful thoughts, sinful actions, had done bad things. And Jesus, as the omniscient Son of God, knew what they had done. Right? So when He looked at these people, He knew their sin. He knew their evil thoughts. He knew their evil desires. He hadn't heard gossip about it. He knew. He wasn't making an assumption based off the place where they came from. He knew. He wasn't guessing because of their family name. He knew. And despite the fact he knew everything there was to know about these people, including all that was wrong with them, when he looked at them, he saw people. He didn't see the sin. He didn't see the failures. He didn't see their sinful desires. He saw people. This is our example. When we look at the multitudes, we should see people. I'll come back to this. Jesus also sees with compassion. He saw a large crowd and he felt compassion. They had huge problems. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, the picture of sheep without a shepherd, uh, it pictures someone helplessly waiting on an enemy to come and destroy them. They had all manner of needs. They had physical needs. They had spiritual needs. And, and they had no idea where to get help from any of these. And when Jesus saw these people and he saw their needs, he saw with eyes of compassion. Compassion is what moved Jesus to care about them. Compassion is what moved Jesus to do what he did. And that leads to the last thing Jesus saw. Jesus saw ways to help. And he began to teach them many things. Isn't that interesting? He sees they have needs and he begins to teach them many things. Now, over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus goes places, crowds come around Him, and Jesus doesn't do the same thing with every person. Jesus sees some people that need teaching, and so He teaches them. And He sees some people who need healing, and so He heals them. And He sees some people who need feeding, and so He feeds them. And He sees some people who need deliverance, and so He delivers them. And what we have to see in this is Jesus treats these people as individuals. This is true even in what he taught. Jesus realized different people were in different places spiritually. And so his his teaching reflected this. He taught different things depending on the different needs of the people. He didn't try a one-size-fits-all approach to ministry. He focused on them as individuals and helped them with their individual needs. Those who needed to be taught were taught. Those who needed to be healed were healed. Those who needed to be fed were fed. Those who needed deliverance were delivered. What do we see as we look at the multitudes around us? Because unless unless we're hermits who only get out of our cave to come to church on Sundays, we see multitudes every day. If you go to Walmart, there's multitudes. If you go to the park well, it's warm, there's multitudes. If you go on a walk through the town, there's multitudes. No matter where you go, in Gaiman, you're going to see all kinds of people abounding around us. So the question, what do we... See. Now, do do we see maybe their nationality and make assumptions based upon that? Do we we see something and assume what their sin may be? Or do we see them and, and assume what their sin may be based upon gossip we've heard? Or do we see them and see their sin because... We know what they've done. Do we see them and see them in light of their failures, what we assume to be their failures, what we've heard to be their failures, or what we, we know? I mean, what do we see when we look at others? Or and this is this is and this is my, my biggest problem, are we focused on ourselves and what we're doing to such an extent We don't see people at all. I I get on a mission. If I'm going to Walmart, I have a mission to accomplish. And so I can get in and out and never once see a person. I mean, like I see them, but it doesn't register. I think I've told this story before, but when we still had the school, I had gone to the school to do something. And when I was walking out, I was coming back, and I was kind of behind, and I was in a hurry. And I could hear a voice saying, Dad, But it didn't register. I mean, I heard it, but I was on a mission and I didn't pay attention. And it was, Dad, 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 Pastor Stacy! And I turned, and it was my daughter who had been saying, Dad. But I was, I mean, I had literally, I walked out the door and she was there and I didn't pay attention because I was so focused on what I had to do. I I can very easily do that if I'm going walking, if I'm going to Walmart, if I'm at a restaurant, I, I can be easily... Get so caught up, I don't see what Jesus sees. It's not that I see with judgy eyes, I just don't see the people. For me, that is one of the things I have to kind of slow myself down to see the people. But, but maybe, maybe we do wrestle with having judgy eyes. And so when we see, we see with a measure of judgment. Uh, we, we don't see them as people. We see them as sins. We see them as failures. We see them as things we don't like. Or, or maybe we don't see with compassion. We know the struggles they have, but in our mind, our thought is they're getting what they deserve. They have made these mistakes. Let them just enjoy themselves. And if we see ways to help, maybe we feel it's just not our place and it's not our problem. If we're going to be servants of Jesus, we have to see the way Jesus sees. And make no mistake, Jesus sees people. Everybody we encounter is someone He sees and He cares for. He died for. He, he sees with compassion. He knows they've made mistakes and got themselves into the troubles they're in. He, he knows all of that full well. He still sees with compassion. And he sees ways to help. And he, he doesn't deal with them as just a, here's what you do for all people. This is an individual. How can I help this individual? Right? If we are going to be servants of Jesus, this is what we must learn to see as we go on. And, and Maybe you already do it, if you were to tell me that 's how you see and you do i 'm not going to doubt you i 'm really not the point of this isn 't y'all are horrible. be better like me. The point is this is what we 're all supposed to be this is what we 're all supposed to do as disciples of Jesus, we should be like Jesus, we should see what Jesus sees as we look at the crowd so if we don 't, then we need to repent. We need to ask God to change our hearts to change our eyes so we see. The way he sees. And when we see the way he sees. We will be compelled to serve. The way Jesus serves. And do what we can to help. Now just because we can't. Heal the sick. Or cast out demons. Or multiply the food. Doesn't mean we can't do something. And what we can do. We should do. This is what it means to be a servant of Jesus. Servants of Jesus serve. The way or serve when Jesus wants, the way Jesus wants and how Jesus wants to do this. We must see what Jesus sees. Thirdly, we must servants of Jesus hear what Jesus says. So as the day goes on, they've been taught the disciples come to Jesus and are like, hey, we only have a little bit of food and there's a whole bunch of people. Why don't you tell them all to shoe so we can eat? Right, we, They were raised like my mom. My mom told me, you don't bring enough for everybody, you don't eat in front of anybody. That's kind of apparently what they had in mind. You need to They need to go get food somewhere. You can't eat in front of them. So Jesus, they, they, they're like, you need to send them away. There's nowhere to get food, I mean, other than the village. There's no pizza delivery. There's nothing they can do uh, to have food brought to them. People probably don't have money for food. And there's only the five loaves and, and the two fish, nothing more. So the disciples go to Jesus, he tells them they tell him to send them away so they can go back and get the food. But notice what Jesus says to them, verse 37, "You give them something to eat. Now here's the deal. Jesus knew they didn't have enough to feed the crowd. Now, not even without being omniscient, Jesus had common sense. Common sense says, five loaves and two fish, is a very small meal for 12 full-grown men, 13 counting Jesus. It's certainly not enough for 5,000 men plus women and children. Jesus knew the amount of food they had with Him. Even if every disciple had a full lunch themselves, the lunches of 12 people can't feed 5,000 men plus women and children. So why did Jesus tell them, you give them something to eat when He knows they don't have enough? What John's Gospel tells us is because Jesus already knew what He was going to do. He already knew He was going to work through the disciples through that small lunch, and He was going to perform an amazing miracle. You and I are surrounded by people with all kinds of needs. Some are enslaved to sin. Some are deceived by the devil. Some are beat up by the cares of life. Many of them are weighed down by these needs, the points they are on the verge of collapse. And what we, what we find in God's Word is Jesus expects us to do what we can to help them, to meet those needs. Disciples of Jesus, servants of Jesus, are expected by Jesus to do what we can to meet the needs of those around us, just like Jesus did. Jesus expects us to have something to give to those in need. When we see people around us drifting aimlessly in life, we should hear Jesus say to us, You give them something. When we see people enslaved to sin, we should hear Jesus say to us, You give them something. When we see someone sliding back in their relationship with Jesus, we should hear Jesus say, You give them something. When we see a need we have the ability to meet, we should hear Jesus say, You give them something. Now, something about this is, in as with them, probably what we have isn't enough. Right? On their own, they didn't have enough, and yet Jesus said, give them something. Because He knew what He was going to do. He was going to work through the little bit they had and do something far greater than they could imagine. So when we hear Jesus say, you give them something, our first response many times would be, well, I don't have enough. I'm not able. And we limit what Jesus can do based upon our limitations. But Jesus isn't limited by the things that limit us. He's not telling us to do more than we can do. He's telling us to do what He says, and He will do more than we can do. You give them something, and when we set out in obedience to do what He says, He makes things happen that are greater than anything we can do on our own. Ephesians 3.20 says, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ask or imagine. Often we stop there if we're not careful. That's a great verse for prayer, right? And we pray to a great big God who can do bigger than we can imagine. But the verse goes on. And it says, according to the power that is already at work in you. Think about that. The exceeding abundant power of God that can do more than you can ask or imagine, more than I can ask or imagine, is already at work within us. So that means... You and I, when Jesus says give them something, we can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine because the power to do that is already in us. Jesus will empower us and enable us to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or imagine. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus with his disciples, he expected they could help people they came into contact with. He still says today, you give them something. And if we are going to be servants of Jesus, we have to hear what he says, do what he says. Servants of Jesus serve when Jesus wants, the way Jesus wants, how Jesus wants. To do this, we must hear what he says and what he says is you give them something. And then finally, servants of Jesus give what Jesus asks. Jesus told the disciples to give them something to eat. Their response, 200 denarii would be the equivalent of 200 days wages in this culture. That's a lot of money. And they didn't have it. So he sends them to find out what they have. They have the five loaves, the two fish. And then he begins to tell them what to do. Now, again, as we've said, under normal circumstances, five loaves and two fish is not enough to feed Probably not for 13 full-grown men, much less for 5,000 men and plus women and children. But this wasn't normal circumstances. These were five loaves and two fish given to the omnipotent Son of God who could do anything He wants to do. And no one could oppose Him. The lunch was ordinary. The disciples were ordinary. But the one they were giving it to was not ordinary. But in order for the extraordinary to happen, they had to give it to Jesus. So I, and so the principles on giving it to Jesus, one... We have to willingly give what Jesus asks. Right, in verse 41, He took the five loaves and the two fish. Right, he, they, he told them and they just handed it to Him. Now, they had to give everything. Now, He took all five loaves and both fish. Now, realistically, Jesus could have done this just as easily with one loaf and one fish. I mean, He's Jesus. He, he could have, I suppose done it with no loaves and no fishes. He could have materialized the fish and the bread out of air and then multiplied it. But, but that's not what he did. They, they had to willingly give him everything. right? He, he didn't tackle them. He didn't throw, punch them and take it when they dropped it. He said, give me all you've got and trust me. And so they had to willingly take everything they had and hand it to him. This is what we have to do as well. Jesus is not likely to tackle us and force us to do what He asks us to do. He could. We know He did it with Jonah. But let's be honest. Jonah is just one example in all of God's Word. Most of the time when people chose not to do what God wanted them to do, He just let them do something else, even if it was to their detriment. I mean... Think about about when Jesus called the twelve disciples. Come follow me. And then he let them make whatever choice they would make. And if they were going to get up and leave everything to follow him, then so be it. And if not, then that was so be it too. And we know that if they had chosen not to, he would have left them because we even have an instance of that. There's a story of of a man called the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus. He's like, hey, what do I do? To inherit eternal life. Jesus looks at him. And he loves him. And he tells him to keep the commandments. And he names a few off. And the guy says. I've done all of those since I was a kid. What else do I need to do? Jesus says. Sell everything you have. Give all that money to the poor. Come and follow me. And you can have true riches in heaven. The guy was sad about that. Because he had a lot of money. And so he wasn't willing to do it. And so he he turned he walked away sad without Jesus. Does anybody remember what Jesus did immediately following that? He let him go. And then he turned to his disciples and said, it's really hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. He didn't alter what he asked of that guy. He didn't change it. He didn't lower his expectations. He didn't begin to haggle. What are you willing to give? Will you give 10%? How about 5%? We give some to the poor. The demand was there give everything, follow me. He wasn't willing, so he missed out on Jesus. When Jesus calls us to serve him, he asks us to willingly give him everything, give him all of our lives. To do whatever it is He wants us to do. That's part of what it is to give everything. That if He says, go do this, we say, yes, Lord, I'll go do it. Now, He's not going to make us. Not likely. He could, but He's not likely. Instead, what He's likely to do is just let us miss out on what He wanted to do in us and through us and for us. His desire isn't to... To force us and bend us to His will. Jesus is not that God. Jesus wants us to trust Him so much. To love Him so much. To know His love for us is so great that no matter what He says, our answer is, Yes, Lord, I'll do what You want me to do. We must willingly give Jesus everything He asks but we also must continually give Jesus everything He asks. Notice the disciples; they were to put people in groups of fifty and a hundred. Now, how long do you think that took? Five thousand men, plus women and children, to put people in groups of fifty and a hundred. I bet more than a couple of minutes. So they they go and they get the people. You've heard you hear, negative crowds, and if you've ever had crowds of people that you've tried to Get organized just like herding cats. People just don't follow directions well. Then you get them done and they come back. Okay. And then Jesus prays, breaks the food, and begins to put it in baskets to which they have to take and feed. How many, how many times do you reckon they had to go back and forth, right? Because the wording is that he gave it to the disciples again and again. So he didn't just give them this great big basket that had enough for 5,000 men and they carried it around. They had a basket and they went and Get some, and then you get some. Oh, we're out. We went back and, and then Jesus broke it and put some more in there, and then they went again and again and again. And what we see is they are repeatedly giving Jesus what he asked them to give. I mean, it, we read this and we think it must have taken five minutes because that's how long it takes us to read it. I bet this took hours. Hours of them getting people in groups. Hours of them taking baskets of food. And then when everybody has eaten all they wanted, they go back and get leftovers. And so hours of collecting 12 baskets of leftovers. This is a great picture of what it is to be a servant of Jesus. Jesus asks and we give completely all that he asks us to give. But then he asks again and we give again. And then he asks something else and we give again. We give over and over and over and over again. This is what it means to be a servant of Jesus. There is not one giving. We give and we're done. We give Him everything over and over and over again. Let me me read you this story that captures this perfectly, I think. To give my life for Christ appears glorious. To pour myself out for others. To pay the ultimate price of martyrdom. I'll do it. I'm ready, Lord. To go out in a blaze of glory. We think of giving our all to the Lord is like taking a thousand dollar bill and laying it on the table. Here's my life, Lord. I'm giving it all. But the reality for most of us is that He sends us to the bank and has us cash the thousand dollars for quarters. And we go through life putting out 25 cents here, 50 cents there. Listen to the neighbor kid's troubles instead of telling him to get lost. Go to a committee meeting. Give a cup of water to a shaky old man in a nursing home. Usually, giving our life to Christ isn't glorious. It's done in little acts of love. 25 cents at a time. It would be easy to go out in a flash of glory. It's harder. To live the Christian life little by little, over the long haul, it would be easy to die as a martyr. I'm truly, to the best of my knowledge, I'm not afraid of death. I'm, I'm certain I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Deny Jesus or die. But when I want to have my time off and I need to go visit someone instead, that's that's a different issue. Go go pray with someone. Across the street, maybe I don't know really well to talk to them. That, that's a little harder. Be kind to someone. I, I y'all don't think this way, but some, there are people I encounter. People at times, and I think, man, they're stupid. I, I just really don't like them. And then to be kind to them, and be with them. That's that, that's not a that's not giving my all. That's just fifty cents here, fifty cents there. And yet, that's what he calls us to do. I mean, how many? people do you know personally that have given that one last bit of courage, that final dose of courage for Jesus? They took the bullet to the head. Their heads were chopped off. Now, not not you've heard stories about, but you know. I bet none of us know anyone who has ever died given that last full measure of courage, the thousand dollars all at once. So it's not likely to happen to any of us. Being all in for Jesus, it's less about dying for Jesus than it is about dying to self and living for Jesus. And living for Jesus is going again and again and again and again. It's little things here. It's... When you want to go to a place and have some rest, but an opportunity to serve comes up, you take it. It's seeing people and looking beyond their sin and their failures and all the stuff that irritates you and seeing people with needs and looking with compassion. It's giving what you have even if you don't think you have it to give. It is doing it again and again and again and again. This is is what it means to be a servant of Jesus. This is the life we are called to live. Not a few of us, but all of us. Servants of Jesus serve when Jesus wants, the way Jesus wants, and how Jesus wants. And this means we continually give everything Jesus asks so I want to ask you, are you faithfully serving Jesus today? Now, I'm not asking do you want to. You're out on a Sunday morning. I'm going to assume you're here because that's your desire is to serve Jesus. But if you're like me, what you desire to do and what you actually do aren't always The same things. Are you a servant of Jesus today? Are you following where he leads? Are you seeing what he sees? Are you hearing what he says? And are you giving what he asks? Because make no mistake, Jesus wants every one of us to serve the people of this community in his name. And he wants us to follow him. He wants us to see, He wants us to hear, and He wants us to give over and over again. That's not the question. The question is, are we willing? Are we ready? Are we doing it? So I, I want to ask you to stand. And I want to ask you three questions to answer. Honestly, on your own. Number one, am I faithfully serving Jesus in the ways we've talked about today? Number two, if not, am I willing to faithfully serve Jesus in the ways we've talked about today? And and if honesty would compel us to say, not really, then question three, are we willing to to be made willing by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. Spend this time in response praying. Help me to follow, help me to see, help me to hear, and help me to give if you're already determined to be a servant. If you're not, pray, help me to to change and to begin to do it. And if that's not your desire, but you still want to really desperately follow Jesus, pray, pray, Make me willing to be willing to do what You want me to do. Change my heart so that I'm like You and I can do what You would want me to do. I'm going to pray. The altars will be open if you want to come forward and pray, or you can pray where you are. We just want to spend this time crying out to Jesus. Father, we love You today. We thank You for Jesus. Lord, we are thankful that He served us by His death on the cross. Help us to emulate Him. Lord, I be perfectly honest. The things I read about what self-righteous service is, I see, I see me in that often, and I, I'm ashamed of that, and I hate that. Forgive me, and Lord, I want to serve the people of our church. I want to serve the people of our community. in the ways that we've seen today. Lord, I know I can't wait until I want to do it. But as I do what You want me to do, do change my desires. Do change my heart. I want to be as much like Jesus as I possibly can. Help us as a church to be known as servants of Jesus. Jesus. Let it be evident in how we live our lives and how we treat the world around us. Let us remember we're called to serve Jesus by serving others. We ask you to do this work in our hearts and our lives in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.